Since last week, the church has been in what could be called a holding pattern. The octave of Easter, and, and I pointed out with the school children, octave and octagon, eight, uh, and uh, of course the most famous op, op, octagon is the stop sign. The church in her wisdom or uh, maybe uh, gives us these eight days to stop to reflect on what we've just celebrated. And liturgically speaking, we do that very well as uh, already, well, it's harder to tell perhaps on a Sunday, but all this week, uh, this past week, we had a glory at each of the masses. We have the option to sing the Easter sequence that we had last Sunday morning. The sisters did that for all, all of their daily masses. We have uh, special inserts into the Eucharistic prayer. We use the same preface, and we will continue that today. Because the church in her wisdom knows we need to not move on too quickly from the empty tomb, and uh, which is why the church in her wisdom also gives us just the empty tomb last week. If you remember, Peter and John rush out after the uh, witness of the, the, the tomb is empty, of Mary Magdalene. They rush out, and, and John stops. He gets to the tomb first and stops and lets Peter go in. And then John himself looks, sees, and believes, and they leave. And it picks up in today's gospel passage. And today's uh, passage, of course, we hear Jesus appearing to them, coming into that room where the doors were locked. And he doesn't use the door or the window or come through the roof. He just appears. This is a glorified body, of course. But if you notice, the first words, even, even in the second appearance, the, the, uh, the week later, he uses three times one line, peace be with you. This is not just a simple greeting. This is not just, hey, how are you? And certainly, uh, Jesus' message is a lot more important than, hey, what's up? These last three days, they've been crazy, haven't they? He's not giving them just a gentle little greeting, but he's reminding them that peace is theirs now. The peace that is ours. In Jesus' Jesus's death and resurrection, all of creation is reconciled to God the Father. And this is what true peace is, that all is made right all is made well. Peace be with you. And they don't know what, quite what to do and they rejoice. So the Lord has to tell them again, peace be with you. And he gives them that mission, of course, as the Father sends me, so I send you. But they need to be empowered. And so he breathes on them. I found myself reflecting on that, that thought and, and those that went to the chrism mass, and I know so many from our area did, and it was wonderful, but you witnessed as uh, Bishop Zelensky, and uh, of course, every bishop will do this, as they're blessing the sacred chrism, they will breathe on that chrism, and they will make the form of a cross over that chrism. In the old baptism rites, the priest would breathe, I believe it was on the water, and, and the, the blessing of the water, don't quote me on that one, but it was, it's either on the water or in the Ephatha, right? Uh, they would breathe on the child to receive the Holy Spirit. This breath that Jesus gives this witness, but this breath, this Holy Spirit, is not just empty, but is rather filled with a particular gift, the gift of forgiveness of sins. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. 
And of course, that goes hand in hand with peace. How can we have peace if there is not reconciliation? And how can we have reconciliation for sure without the sacraments? This last week, I listened to a podcast, and it was Matt Frad, and he had a, a quote by, and I don't remember the exact quote, but it was amazing, uh, Jordan Peterson, who's uh, been very much on the, um, in the news for various things. He unfortunately gets the reputation of being far right. He's not, but he's not, uh, he's moving towards uh, Christianity, and uh, when you hear this, you, you probably will be as uh, certain that he's moving towards Catholicism as, as I am, but he comes from a, a more atheistic kind of background. And he said, of all, you know, of all things, only the Catholic faith has a solution, because otherwise we, we just kind of play this game of forgiveness, that God forgives us, and we play this game, but in Catholicism, we have the assurance that God hears and forgives through the ministry of a priest. This ministry is given by Jesus Christ himself, and we hear it in today's gospel. And again, it's not unto itself, but it is all about establishing peace, of reconciling, of helping others come to full faith and living that faith out. But then there's poor Thomas, and we know, and I've pointed out year after year, poor Thomas gets the moniker Doubting Thomas, and I think that's unfortunate, especially in the Gospel of Mark. Yesterday uh, at the Daily Mass, we heard from the Gospel, it was Mark's kind of sum, summation up, and Mary Magdalene goes back and t- tells the apostles, I've seen the Lord, and they say, no. And then the, we hear the two walking in the countryside. I think it's a direct reference to the Road to Emmaus story, which we will hear next week. They come back and say, we've seen the Lord. They say, no. They didn't believe any more than Thomas didn't believe. And when the Lord encounters them, he, he scolds them on their slowness to believe. Thomas is no different. He's no different than any of one of us, perhaps. If something amazing, miraculous had happened to somebody, and it's so miraculous, we might say, no, I, I didn't see it. I can't believe but Thomas goes a little further. Unless I see the mark of the nails and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I cannot believe. I will not believe. And of course, Jesus appears with that same message of peace, but he gives to Thomas what he needs for peace. Go ahead, Thomas. See the nail marks. Put your finger into the nail marks in my hand. Put your hand into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas didn't have to do anything except see. He sees and believes, finally, just like the other apostles did, which I think is why it's very unfortunate he's called a doubter. On a side note, we have to note that Thomas, after the resurrection, after the ascension, after Pentecost, went and preached the gospel And he proclaimed the gospel, especially in India, there finding his death as a martyr. But he left behind a community of believers that to this day trace their lineage, their spiritual lineage, to St. Thomas, the Cyril Malabar Church in Kerala, India. This is not a man who doubted any longer, but a man who needed proof. 
But even then, Jesus calls him to task. You believe because you saw. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. It could be a direct reference again to St. John, the author of this gospel. (coughs) After all, if you remember last week, and I already mentioned it, as John looks in, he sees the empty tomb, and he believes. He doesn't see the resurrected Jesus, but he believes. And the apostles and the, the disciples of the church from time, that time on, whether they saw Jesus Christ resurrected, or they just simply had the privilege of going to the empty tomb, or they just heard of the empty tomb and heard of the resurrection, they no longer see, we do no longer see, but we are called to believe all the same. And Jesus would stand in our midst this day and tell us, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Whatever you need for that peace, I give. The church in the last, these last decades has uh, established this second Sunday of, of Easter as Divine Mercy Sunday. And we recall that great vision that St. Faustina had of our, of our Lord as mercy, as we have the image in front of us this day, this Jesus whose heart has been pierced. He's holding back his robe so that the, his heart, the light from his heart may pour forth in water and blood. Water and blood, the sign of the sacraments, baptism and the Eucharist, especially the sacraments of initiation, the sacraments that uh, these six children will receive for the first time in Holy Communion this day, the sacrament that we, many of us, have received. And when we look at that sacrament, we might not see Jesus Christ. We might not understand how he can be present there. But he is. We see and believe that this is Jesus Christ who becomes what looks like bread, what looks like wine, that we may have life. This is how Jesus continues to give us peace, the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of communion, that we are given peace time and time and time again. Every time we sin, he gives us reconciliation. Every time we need to be nourished, he gives us the Eucharist. Let us look even though we cannot see with our eyes, to see that Jesus Christ is truly present here in this Eucharist, to let the example of these children this morning, their excitement, their enthusiasm, their joy of receiving our Lord in the Eucharist the first time, let it be like for us the first time we've received. There's a, sometimes a statement that I, I found in some sacristies, one I know is St. Mary's and Sleepy Eye, It's an admonishment to the priest. Priests, celebrate this Mass as if it were your first, as if it were your last, as if your only. And I think the same is true for the reception of the Blessed Sacrament. Receive it as if it's your first. For these six, yes, it will be their first. Receive it as if it's your last, because honestly, we don't know if it's our last. And of course, receive it as if your only one that we would be well prepared to receive our Lord, who stands in front of us this day as divine mercy, giving us peace, giving us everything we need for faith, even if we can't see it.